From what I gather from the four articles I read on how to make a podcast that does not suck, we should probably spend a few minutes telling you who we are and what we're about. This is adulting, where we talk about eating disorder recovery. I'm Ryan Mitchell, and I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm Tara Rolfus, and I'm a student slash coffee hustler for free college, army wife, and mom to three. The idea behind this podcast is to have some open, authentic discussions about recovery from eating disorders. And we want to tackle the big stuff like motivation, body image, relapse, um, and with a nod here or there and a rolled eye to the quirks of recovery. We're going to get a little personal as we are both in recovery, albeit at different points in our recovery and with different perspectives. As I come from the therapy world and here it comes from the patient having been the treatment world. This is yeah. like year one of my recovery journey. Um, so I'm really hoping we can shoot down some myths about eating disorders. And full disclosure, I have a secret mission to re-educate the public at large about the disordered eating culture that we all have and have all participated in. So if you have an eating disorder, you're thinking about recovery, or you're already in recovery, or you're in the throes of a relapse, um, if you love, work with, or know someone with an eating disorder, if you have a sneaking suspicion that someone might be suffering from an eating disorder and you want to help, or at least educate yourself, then you have come to the right place. I hope. <laughs> I mean, we're going to do our best. That's okay. all we can do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, what? Everyone is doing the best they can. So let's start off with what is recovery and like what is not recovery? Yeah. Ooh, I'll start. So when I went to treatment, um, I thought like the work would be done when I got home from treatment. Like That would be it. I did my 30 days or however long my insurance allowed me to stay. And I just wouldn't have an eating disorder anymore. It would be over. So, like, when I met you and you said there will be relapse in recovery, I was like, oh, this is great. I'm never going to get better. All that to say, like, the first thing recovery isn't is one stint in treatment and then you've done all the work there is to be done. Right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of family members, like, don't get that. They sit there like, why aren't you better yet? Didn't you go to treatment? Then we just pay all this money to send you? Like, what were you guys doing? Watching movies and having pillow fights? <laughs> But, like, I guess treatment just stabilizes you to do the work that you have to get done. Like, all the stuff that led you to your eating disorder, like, whether it be trauma, statistically, that's true for most eating disorder patients. Or, you know, whatever. Like, coping strategies. Um, treatment, like, gives you the tools you need to use in order to recover. It's not recovery in and of itself, but it's the first step. Yeah, I kind of feel like recovery... Like you could redefine it as like uh, intentionally choosing to try to not fuck up your life. <laughs> yeah. Like intentionally choosing healthier strategies. Like that, because when you think about recovery, it doesn't matter if it's addiction recovery or gambling recovery or eating disorder recovery. You're intentionally choosing behaviors and choices and thought patterns that are going to hopefully bring you closer to the person you want to be rather than like hitting the self-destruct button so i think like when you're walking out recovery you're just like i'm walking out responding to myself in the best way possible yeah 
Like when you get anxious, instead of being like, oh, well, I think I'll just go purge my lunch. It's like, oh, what's up, anxiety? <laughs> what are you trying to tell me? Yeah. You clearly want my attention for some reason. I hate your face, but what? Turns out I can't just numb you with eating disorder behaviors because that's wrong. <laughs> well, if you want to actually live your life, then, then maybe we should rethink There's that. that. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe let's not do the thing. <laughs> but I mean, that, that, that leads right into it. I'm going to like jump a little bit. That, that's the ambivalence though, right? Yes. Where it's like, I don't know how to cope without these behaviors. I don't know how to have a life without these behaviors. What is life without these behaviors? Do I want that life? Yeah. It's like, you know, in recovery, when you first start feeling emotions, it's like awful. <laughs> You're like, ew, oh, gross. I feel sad all the time. I hate myself. What is this? Well, that's like my favorite, one of my favorite jokes um, with new patients is the good news is your feelings are going to come back. The bad news is your feelings are going to come back. <laughs> we got to learn to do that. True. Like, I think I'd been numbing my feelings since I was 11 years old. And so, like, actually feeling something was like, what is this? Like, my husband will watch a sad movie and my husband will cry because I guess that's appropriate. And I'll just be looking at him like, you okay? <laughs> but uh, now I cry, which is weird. <laughs> like for a while, you only have like the, uh, the somatic words for it. It doesn't quite match the emotion yet. You're like, my eyes are wet. Oh, Things are God, happening. <laughs> Do I feel sad? What? Oh. oh, yes. And in uh, the third place I went to, we had feelings all over the walls because um, the people would ask you how you're feeling all the time. And so they got fed up with me just saying snarky, like, all the time. So I had to choose different feelings. <laughs> snarky a feeling or a style of conversation? Look, <laughs> we're asking the important questions today. <laughs> So there's definitely like different parts of recovery. The physical part of recovery. Yeah. Physical part is a beast. Yeah. It really is. It's friggin' painful. <laughs> I didn't realize how painful it would be. And I didn't even have to um weight restore like a lot or some of or whatever eating disorder patients. And so like I didn't really have all of that to I guess go through, but I definitely um like had bones aching like my bones would ache like crazy and uh, when I stopped purging swelling and watery tension that was crazy I had to wear compression stockings for the swelling to stop it was crazy um you're lucky like sitting out of whack for a while yeah my um like complete and utter exhaustion like could not function I was so tired. Stomach pain after eating because, like, I hadn't been used to eating. So, like, I guess my stomach was growing and accommodating all the food I was eating. Well, I'm sweating. Your, you know, your, um, your enzymes are out of whack, too, when you're first recovering. And so you have to build up your gut bacteria again to be able to digest it. So it's, like, gas central for a while. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
they put me on something called Phazyme. They're like, that'll help your stomach with the enzymes or whatever. And then my dietitian like makes me eat yogurt every day. Get your kombucha, get your probiotic on. Yeah, I have probiotics. They're the best. Let's see, what else is there? Like, oh, I felt nauseous all the time. I got to take anti-nausea medicine and uh, increased anxiety. Well, and then there's, there's that too. It's like, is this nausea or is this anxiety I'm feeling? Probably both. Yes. It's and. <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, mood swings, which I couldn't tell if that was just like me because I'm particularly like sensitive to mood swings or if that's completely normal. Well, it's completely normal because again, you're, but like, you're, you're not only were you somewhere like away from home and like all of the emotional upheaval that comes with that, but you're in a di- an environment where you don't have access to at least all of your normal behaviors, <laughs> even though we all know that some sneak in there. Um, it's yeah. I mean, such a fun time. <laughs> <laughs> of course yeah, you got everyone listening. Everyone's listening about recovery, and they're like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, like, someone's considering recovery. It's for me. <laughs> they're making a pro-con list, or we're just hitting all the cons. Well, yeah, I mean, cause on, on, it's kind of like, I, I also always say that you got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, that's what, and I think it's not just getting comfortable being uncomfortable, but it's learning that being uncomfortable is not going to kill you. Like, an eating disorder will. Yeah, like the eating disorder will. Like, like okay, sitting with this uncomfortable feeling sucks, but I'm not going to die. Yeah. I might There's want that. to from yeah. time to time, but I'm not going to. Whereas if I keep engaging in this behavior, like, I'm totally going to die. It doesn't even matter, like, if you are of, like, normal weight or you're underweight or whatever. Like, if you're not recovering from your eating disorder, you are dying from your eating disorder. Like... That was a hard concept for me to grasp because I was like, well, I'm not like so-and-so. I'm not like, it's not that bad. <laughs> but, yeah, it's not that bad until I have a heart attack. Yeah. You know, and I have a heart condition and <laughs> that's not good. Well, I think that's important for people listening to understand too is like appearance has nothing to do with health, like zero correlation. I've had patients who look you know, average to overweight who have had three or four heart attacks. You can't tell anything by the way somebody appears. Yeah. And I think it's important to discuss too, like if you get lab works while lab work while you're in the middle of your eating disorder, that it still might come back fine. And that it takes a while, like when you're in recovery or whatever, you might be like two weeks in the treatment and then you get lab work and it's all messed up. Mm-hmm. And that's because, like, you know, your body's starting to heal, so now all of your things are out of whack. Because, like, that's how I was. I was like, my lab work is fine. And then, like, two weeks into treatment, I get my lab work, and mm-hmm. my kidneys were messed up. <laughs> when I hear that from a lot of patients, too, it's like, wait, wait a second. While I was engaged in the eating disorder, my labs are okay. But, well, yeah, your body's going to try to reach homeostasis. And if you're chronically dehydrated, guess what? Your lab work is not accurate because the concentrations are out of whack. And then all of a sudden we hydrate you and it's like, oh, I'm really terribly. <laughs> I'm not healthy at all. Huh. Yeah. 
Look at that. Yeah, like I just had labs done a couple weeks ago, and and I thought, you know, oh, finally I'm going to have normal labs because it's been forever. And my iron decided to take a plunge for no reason. So now I'm on, like, iron supplements three times a day. Well, is there enough iron in your meal plan? Yes, there's tons of iron in my meal plan. They make me eat meat now. Oh, recovery is not a vegan diet. <laughs> yes. I think if that, I mean, that's important. Like, what recovery is, is not engaging in disordered eating behaviors. And that's really flipping tricky because most of the country, half of the world, engages in disordered eating behaviors. It's, like, socially acceptable. Yeah, it's not having food rules. Because I had this discussion with my therapist. I'm like, well, I won't be vegan, but can I just be vegetarian? And she was like, no, you can't have food rules. I was like, um, okay, that sucks. I was like, can I like one day be vegetarian when I'm recovered? And she said, no, because <laughs> you're always working on recovery. <laughs> and I was like, well, this is a bitch of a situation. <laughs> sure is. But again, you know, I'm going to go back to... I know you and I have talked about the, the veganism and vegetarianism before. If you're really concerned about ethical treatment of animals, there are ethical farms. But like all those symptoms that we talked about, the nausea, the sweating, the what else, swelling, etc. Um, those are your body's way of slowing you down so it can heal from the ed damage, right? Yes, absolutely. It's kind of like, it's a sign of healing. So it sucks that you're in pain, but that means your body is doing what it's supposed to do to heal. It means it's using all of its resources to go in. And pain is your body's way of telling you to, like, sit down, rest, take it easy. Take it easy. Maybe don't work out. Yeah. Just like, you know, your ankle swells when you twist it or you break it. Trying roller derby for the first time. That was me. Is that, that you? <laughs> I can see you as a roller derby <laughs> cook. I really wanted to What be. was your name? I really to be. Um, Ginger Ninja was going to be my name. Nice. I never got a chance to earn it. What else about recovery? It's brain retraining? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so multifactorial, I suppose. I mean, it's dealing with some underlying trauma, but that doesn't necessarily have to be. But you need, I think, at least more than one prong. Like, it can't just be behavior. It can't just be dealing with the trauma. It can't just be retraining your brain. It has to be some combination of all of them. That's why um, when I first moved to where I live now, because um, the Army didn't have the resources for me to, you know, fully recover from an eating disorder, my therapist was great, but she didn't have any eating disorder knowledge, so that wasn't helping me at all. And so we would do trauma work, and then all my ed behaviors would back up obviously because you know who wants to deal with trauma crap so when I moved here um the first move was to put me back in patient to get me fully stabilized and I got back and we started doing trauma work because and I was always of the mindset well I could do both like I could work recovery and eating disorder recovery and eat off the meal plan and deal with all the crappy feelings while also working with trauma because if we wait until the eating disorder is stabilized that's never going to be because the trauma feeds into the eating disorder and so like what are we waiting for let's just do it mm -hmm. and that's tough i mean doing both at once i think is 
daunting, but I don't know how you can't. I don't know. I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Like, how do you tease apart? Because you're absolutely right. If I start working on the eating disorder behavior, how do I deal with my trauma? But if I start working on the trauma, then I'm going to want to use my eating disorder behaviors. So I think you have to like work on trauma as you're doing some skill building where it maybe necessarily isn't. Um, here are. It's kind of like that whole thing of like building the new instead of avoiding instead of saying I'm not going to do that, you know? Like here are the skills I can use after a trauma session. Here's my plan for how I'm going to handle that, you know, dissociation at the end of that session. Here's my plan for how I'm going to handle my irritation and everything my husband and kids say or do the next day. Here's my plan for how I'm going to, you know, decompress or like get some time to reflect on it um, rather than okay, I just had a hard session. I can't go purge. I can't go purge. I can't go purge. I can't go purge. Because what are you going to do? What are you going to purge? purge. <laughs> You're going to do, do it. That's, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, I think, well, it depends on where you are in your recovery walk. But, like, it's always going to, like, be in the back of your mind. Like, oh, this is a crappy situation. I just ate lunch. I feel crappy. But, hey, I know something that will make me feel better immediately. Even though afterwards you feel like crap and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? Whatever. But yeah, totally. That's like, you know, one thing I kept reiterating was um, kept voicing my needs because I learned how to do that. <laughs> and and um, I kept on saying like, we need to do the trauma work because, you know, I moved to a city where, you know, part of my trauma is or whatever. And so that just like, like, as soon as we moved here, my anxiety, like, ramped up like crazy. And then I was also faced with, um, well, I don't know any of the grocery stores here. Where am I going to buy the food that I'm used to? That was something that was really weird to me. I was like, oh, I don't feel comfortable in the grocery store anymore. That's weird. Um, where am I going to find, like, this specific soup brand I buy? Because Yeah, that's what I think would be really cool if there were more, um, like, eating disorder recovery coaches. That would be cool. Just like, hey, I'll go to the grocery store that. with you. Let's go. Yeah. I've never had a dietitian be like, hey, I'll go to the grocery store with you, because that to me would be a nightmare. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because of my meal plan, I feel like the meal plan makes me look at nutrition labels more now than I did really before. Because, like, I'm trying to calculate, are these meat all my exchanges? No, great. I got to put it back. But, like, my dietitian's always like, don't look at the calorie count. Oh, please. It's the biggest thing on the label now. Please, like, not look at it. It's right at the top. Like, okay, yeah, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> and she'll be like, well, why didn't you eat that? It was on your meal plan to eat. Because <laughs> I saw the calorie count. <laughs> why are you counting calories? Because <laughs> my brain has a problem. <laughs> Ah, and I think that's that's that point in, in your recovery too, where you're like, okay, because I saw the calorie count is no longer like you know too much for that to justify not eating. Yeah, no, it's not so much a problem now. It was maybe a few months ago, but um, now it's more. I'm fighting my team. <laughs> Shouldn't be fighting my team, but I'm mad because um, I had to give my scale up when I got back from treatment and to bring it into therapy. And be like, here's my scale. 
Because <laughs> apparently you're not supposed to wet yourself five or six times a day. It's called body checking behavior. Yeah. And so I, you know, gave it my scale. And so I hadn't known what I weighed except for the times at the doctor's office when they're like, despite seeing the big warning label on my file, weigh backwards, don't say weights. They're like, you weigh, blah, blah, blah. When I finally saw what my weight was like in June and that like I had gained weight, even though I didn't need to gain weight, I threw a fit. Like a toddler. I was just like, this is ridiculous. Why am I uh, gaining weight? You know, what the heck is going on? And my dietitian just kept saying, um, you know, your body's fighting the behaviors. Yeah. And I think that's the, that's another thing too. Like recovery might mean you gain weight. And that's true of like, no matter where you're at, you know, and will, will you lose it again? Will you lose it if you're overweight? I don't know. And I think that's that's the difficult part, too, is holding that unknown and that uncertainty because that's not the point anyway of recovery is to reach your ideal weight. <laughs> like, that's, that's an obsession. It's, you know, that's what I thought. Like, when I went to I'd be like, oh, cool. I'll get on a meal plan and I'll still be allowed to lose weight. Well, that's like, here's the thing too. You're not not allowed. You're just not at a place where your body is healed, and that's what it needs to do right now. That's why they like still won't let me work out. <laughs> Been a year since I've worked out, and I'm going kind of crazy. Recovery is not um, what is that? They call it fitspiration oh, or whatever. Like when they, yeah, whatever it is, like. Getting fit or whatever. Not like, it can be skinny. when you... I almost punched someone the other day when they said that. <laughs> <laughs> strong is strong. Like, what the heck is your problem? Uh, actually, what I said was, you're a part of the problem. Well, the thing about away. that statement is it's ludicrous because it equates strong with an appearance, just like skinny is an appearance, like an adjective. Yeah. So you're saying appearing strong is the new appearing skinny, really. Like, yeah, and what is skinny anyway? Like, and look, is it healthy? You can have all kinds of different strong body types. Healthy is the new healthy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's that thing? Uh, everyone's ex- obsessed with that. What is it? What the health video? Yeah, I haven't watched it. I've seen people posting about it going like... <gasps> I um I saw it and then I read what it was about and I was like this is not conducive to my recovery. <laughs> and I was kind of mad too. I was like oh, these people are idiots. But um, <laughs> that's the thing too. It's like every bit of health and nutrition information is taken and sensationalized and narrowed down. And it's like, dude, we we know how to eat collectively. Like we do. Is this like you? You ask me, you know how to eat. Plenty of fruits and vegetables, protein, healthy fats, sugar in moderation. Like, people could rattle that off to you, but we, we have to, that's not marketable. I can't market that. Yeah. No. I can't market Vegan food is expensive. You can make a lot eat of money off of it. Eat mostly foods. Some processed, it's not, you know, going to kill you. Don't do all processed. Like, nobody's going to market that. No. Eat, like, listen to your body and give it what it wants. Yes. What? It's that easy? 
Yeah, pay attention to how your body responds when you eat certain foods, so you know how they make you function. Ooh, Ooh one thing about recovery was uh, hunger cues. Oh. I didn't have any hunger cues. And I thought for a long time that it was, um, well, I knew that it was because of, you know, I'd been like ignoring my hunger cues. So my body was like, all right, I guess we just don't do the thing anymore. But um, like I was on Ativan for a while and I think that really killed my appetite. Like couldn't feel anything, let alone hunger. So I made that like my goal was to, you know, stabilize long enough because for the while their trauma stuff was a little crazy. But stabilized long enough so I could kick that habit. And so once I did, my hunger cues came back. Ooh. And I was like, I knew that was the reason. But they're still whacked. Like, I'll wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and be hungry. And I'm like, no, buddy, we're not doing this. <laughs> not eating that night. So it's trying to, like, listen to your hunger cues. And then, you know, I guess, like, fueling your body when you're hungry. But is there such a thing as, like false hunger or extreme hunger yes. in recovery? Not false hunger normally, but extreme hunger, yeah. Because again, as your as your metabolism starts to as you start to feed yourself, your metabolism can rev a little bit and then it's like, yeah. Stoke that. You yeah, stoke that fire. Let's go. Engines are on. Be fueled. Wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, the calorie needs, um, I remember when you said that I need to be eating like 2000 calories and I looked at you I like you had five heads. More, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of my favorite yeah. things to do in recovery groups is to show people what a 2000 calorie diet looks like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All the restrictive eaters are like, oh, hell no. That, you, who can yeah. eat that in a day? <laughs> That's a week worth of food up there. <laughs> I was like that. <laughs> I was like, Dre's got to be kidding me. I think that's more food yeah. than I ate this uh, month. Like, what the but it turns out you can do that. Not always fun, obviously. No, that's one thing about recovery. Like, it has it has its gratifying moments, but I don't think anybody's like recovery is so fun. The best time of my entire life. <laughs> Ooh. Like when people ask me what I do for a living, the first thing I want to say is I'm working in eating disorder recovery, and that's a full time <laughs> job. <laughs> but I don't because, like, that's an awkward way to meet people. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it's like you know, people who couldn't handle you pretty quickly. I know that's kind of like, well, I don't want to deal with people because <laughs> you know I've had people in my life that are you know whatever they just push certain ideas on me and certain uh i don't know like faith ideas or whatever and you know i should they shit, shit on I mean. me a lot hey <laughs> when they um, shit on me <laughs> so they're like you should do this by now you should be able to and it's like no and some of them are like um have even i guess dealt with an eating disorder but haven't really ever been a treatment if that makes sense or had any kind of counseling surrounding that and it's just so for me I get so frustrated I'm like well they're out here enjoying their recovery life and I'm still going to therapy and appointments. I'm gonna be like a little cat here are they enjoying life because 
Here's the thing, a lot of people who don't seek treatment, whether it's like inpatient, outpatient, more information online, think that they've got it licked, especially, especially in the faith community, but they're still dieting. Like they still won't let themselves eat over like 1,500 calories a day. And they think that that's healthy. Yeah, or they'll exercise yeah, as punishment. Or, or food equated with morality. Oh, I'm being so bad. I'm yeah. having cake today. Oh, I can't have that dessert. I'm trying to be good. I always shut that down now when I hear it because it makes me so mad. Because, I mean, that's what I'm obviously thinking. But like when somebody else verbalizes that, it's like, thanks. You're just validating that neural pathway that... I think that this is bad. So if you could just shut up about your food morality that doesn't exist, really. That like would be say, helpful like, to you're me. not being bad, you're eating a cookie. Yeah. See, I can say that to people. I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, if you want a cookie, eat a cookie. What's the difference? But, like, for me, I have any. You're like, because I don't deserve it. <laughs> it makes me feel like it brings up all of my shit. Oh, wait, what? Huh? Wait, what? Huh? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> so in that kind of aspect, you've got friends like, oh, sorry. Like what's, what has surprised you the most about what recovery is or is it? I think that recovery, the idea that recovery is like a grieving mm-hmm, process yeah. too. Same on that. That was a little... That's a little like eye opening to me, like, because I've had an eating disorder for since I was 14 and I'm 31, so 17 years. And um, so finally feeling all these feelings that, you know, I've pushed away or whatever to deal with trauma and um, just stuff that's happened in my life. It's kind of crazy. And then not like actively choosing not to turn to my eating disorder to um, numb those feelings or numb out. And then just kind of grieving like Ed as an old friend, like, Obviously, Ed's not the greatest friend. He's the guy that ties you up in the basement and then you get Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> Literally, because he just kind of throws scraps down there. Like, here's your yeah. water today. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't drink too much because, yeah. Oh, and, you know, the idea of, like, too much and not enough has always been, like, one of my whacked out core beliefs that, like, I'm not enough, but I'm also too much at the same time. So, like, trying to hold space for the fact that neither of those are really true. Like, I am enough, but I'm not too much. Can I be too much sometimes? Sure. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. That's their law. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, from the, like, you're not like, I call but, the balcony view. When you step back and you look as a whole, you're not too much. But, so that, like, as a grieving process, I had to write, what did my therapist make you write a letter to my eating disorder? Or was that you that made me do that? Some I make guy. you write many letters. Dialogues. I, I like something. to dialogue with it. I made you write it, several dialogues. Yeah. I still dialogue today. It's so much fun. Um, see, the in recovery for me, the idea that gaining weight would possibly happen, even though um, like I started out as a little overweight, got down to a normal BMI, and then after this treatment or whatever, gained more weight, and so I'm like back where I started. So like that... that Kind of accepting that that was my body's way of, um, like, just healing all the crap that I've done to it. And then, um, you know, trying to, like, get to my goals, but, like, also trying to be like, well, if I never get there, I guess, you know, I have, my life is fine just the way it is. Like, 
in recovery and my life is not going to be any greater at Mm -hmm. some magic number than it is now and like obsessing over that magic number like keeps me away from having a great life now yeah and how how would you even feel or enjoy that life if you got to that magic number yeah I was only like 10 pounds away from that magic number in March and um my life wasn't any better then you mean you weren't relaxed (laughs) and happy and just enthralled with life no (laughs) turns out I wasn't and I was like (laughs) and so when that happened and you know I got the news that I was going back to treatment I thought oh yeah uh everybody was right (laughs) nothing (laughs) and so for me it's like I kind of have to figure that out on my own like I love science and I love facts and I'll believe that facts and science are true forever but until like I experience that it's like oh all those facts are true for me as (laughs) well (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, turns out I'm not the exception. Hmm. Ah, what, I mean, we all think that. Yeah. Um, see, food intolerance in recovery. Um, because I was vegan for like two and a half mm-hmm. years, I never drank milk. And so now I'm lactose intolerant because I guess my body has lost the ability to digest Well, you lactose. lose those enzymes too. Like sometimes they come back, sometimes they don't. So and I just thought that um, this morning as I was having my snack I drink milk now now it's lactose free because I still have that problem but it's um I was just like oh yeah a year ago I wasn't even drinking real milk so <laughs> I was like woo um tackling fear foods in recovery Ooh. I oh, I have a lot of fear foods and my dietitian made me write them out and so one day during church I just wrote them all down because I was like not engaged in the sermon so I was just like I'll just do this homework now and I had like three pages almost and then I went through those pages like no how much of that is my eating disorder saying that that's that I can't have that versus Mm -hmm. you know I'm really afraid of that so and then I just narrowed it down to a page back and front but um I didn't think that I would actually be having to eat the foods that I was afraid of in recovery I didn't think that that like, was part I of the process. I can only eat this small, limited amount of food, right? Yeah. Yeah. And because, like, part of my eating disorder is orthorexia, there's a lot of junk food on my fear food list. And, well, uh, junk food in quotations, I guess. But Moderation food. But, yeah. <laughs> Moderation food. That's okay. I'm going to start calling it that from now on. But, like, the other day I'd eat mac and cheese. Yeah. It was good, I guess. But it made me feel like crap the next day because my body's not used to eating mac and cheese. Um, What else? Meal plans in recovery. Yeah. You had a meal plan for a while just to make sure you're getting enough, which is a shift because you're used to tracking to make sure you're not eating too much. (laughs) Well, see, for me, like... I kind of want to get off the meal plan, but I know that I'm not, you know, ready to eat intuitively or whatever. But, like, I will sometimes, like, the eating disorder will use the meal plan as a tool to fuel my eating disorder. So I'll be like, my coworkers will be like, hey, do you want to eat a cookie or whatever? I'll be like, no, it's not on my meal plan. (laughs) Even though, especially, I'm guessing your meal plan isn't up to full recovery calories yet. So anything beyond your meal plan, I'm sure it's fine. (laughs) Every day, it's just call me. Yeah, yeah, no. They they just lowered my meal plan, so 
<laughs> I know I didn't know if I should tell you that or not, but they lowered it. <laughs> it's higher than when I left treatment, but lower than yeah, when I left treatment the last time. You have to take so, those and see what you can tolerate. Like yeah. you gotta. That's I think recovery too is constantly finding where where's the edge of my tolerance for reco- for choosing recovery. Because you want to keep choosing it. You don't want it to be so daunting that you just stop or give up. But you do want to be making progress. Yeah, and that was my problem. Yeah, the the full, it was nearly full, like, what do they say you need calorie-wise? Is it like 2,000 to 2,500 or whatever in recovery? So mine was almost, I think, at 2,000. Um, it depends on what I ate that day or whatever. But um, now it's you know, somewhere in the middle, I guess. I have I have not yet calculated my calorie exchanges for the exchange thing, which I used to do all the time. Which <laughs> sit there and oh yeah, calculate like oh, you know, you know this. this is my meal plan is, this conversation is bringing yeah. up so many topics that we can explore in the future too. It's like calories versus exchanges, calorie recovery, cal- like calories. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of been tagging things. Yeah. Yeah. Calorie needs for average weight slash above weight patients. Yeah, I guess what? That's the same. What? You don't get the diet. It's just switching eating disorder. But if you are already restrictive anyway, then that's just continuing your eating disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, part of me wants to be like, yo, a dietitian, we need to up this meal plan. But part of me knows that if I do that, I'm just going to be choosing eating disorder behaviors because it'll be, like, too much. Since I just started more trauma work or whatever with the IOP, I think that's why they backed down on the exchanges so I could get used to doing the trauma work. And then then from there, we'll up it. What made you want to do this podcast? For me, like... I, so like my diagnosis is atypical anorexia, which means that I am not your typical anorexic patient. Like you can look at me and not know I have an eating disorder, or you can look at me and I'll say I have an eating disorder and you'll be like, oh, but you don't look like you have an eating disorder, which is a real great thing to say to somebody Uh in eating disorder recovery. (laughs) Also tell them they look healthy. That's really great. Healthy is usually translated as fat. Yeah. Right. So I just wanted um, to do this podcast because I want people to know, like, most people with eating disorders don't look like they have eating disorders. Like, I was a part of those really bad websites you should be a part of, you know, like ProAna or whatever websites. And most of the people on there were just like me. And they were super sick. And they felt, like, alone in their eating disorder because they felt like, you know, well, no one else looks like me or is the same weight of me or has the same body shape as me and and i think it adds an extra layer to an eating disorder when you don't look like you have an eating disorder because then you feel like now bear with me you're like almost like you failed like i can't even have an eating disorder right but in reality no you have it just right you're killing yourself just right just like everybody else but it's not having that that visible that like uh effect yeah, that's one reason why I almost did not go to treatment. Because I was like, I don't want to be the fat girl at anorexic camp. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be the biggest girl there. 
And, you know, when I got the treatment, I realized, oh, you know, there are other people just like me. Like, you know, I'm not the only one that looks the way I look or has the same thoughts the way that I think or whatever. I'm not the only one that doesn't think like I'm not doing this good enough like everything else. So, yeah, so that's kind of why I wanted to do that. And, you know, bring more awareness to, um, you know, just eating disorders and, you know, society in general and um, just have a real relaxed conversation. Like all the questions you were too mm-hmm. embarrassed to ask in treatment, like, uh, we like that. let's so, answer those. Because well, let's put a call out there, too, if anybody hears this and there's anything you've been dying to know about treatment or recovery or questions you were embarrassed to ask or things you were embarrassed to say about your experiences, this is a good place for that. Um, yeah. Safe place. Safe place. <laughs> you can comment <laughs> um, or send me an email, maybe. Yeah, let's do that. Send me an email at rmitchell, R-M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L, at resiliencecentertulsa.com. Let me know your thoughts or topic ideas or yeah or any questions that you have maybe for me like i'm down i'll answer whatever you want well within reason i have healthy boundaries <laughs> maybe not whatever so. you want but whatever you want that i decide is okay let's talk okay. more about the ambivalence and treatment you say what it is from your point of view a lot of people have that misconception that ambivalence is indifference like we just didn't learn the word correctly but ambivalence is actually that approach and avoidance. Like, mm-hmm. I want to get better, but I don't want to get better. I want a healthy life, but what is life without my, my quote-unquote, eating disorder? Right? Um, <laughs> yeah. Or uh, the eating disorder, as I've been corrected to say. You know, it's, uh, it's the and. <laughs> it's the and in DBT. I'm doing the best I can and I need to do better. But the ambivalence is like holding space for like, there's going to be some days I'm willing to try something else. And there's going to be some days where I'm not. And ambivalence doesn't mean you're never going to recover. Part of (coughs) recovery. Like, um, I think it's, what is it about a month after you're home from treatment? And you're doing the meal plan and you're making your appointments and you're doing the work. You get this thought of like, why am I doing this? This is hard work. It's not fun. I don't feel any better. I know what will make me feel better. So, you know, I know I'm not supposed to use behaviors, but I'm going to. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you're not still choosing recovery, I guess. Like you still want it, but you just choose to use behaviors instead of skills because that's what it i don't know i think an eating disorder can become like an addiction almost it acts on the same neural pathways because like when i have behaviors or whatever my dietitian will be like why did you do this or why did you do that and i don't know why like i don't have a legitimate answer i just like you know in the moment wanted to use behavior so i did so I don't like really know what to tell her. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just ambivalent to recovery. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right now recovery is not as important as feeling better immediately. And when I can tolerate not feeling better immediately, I'll work on other skills. I think too, like another reason that ambivalence happens is because you're so used to like putting faith into your eating disorder and like 
quote-unquote trusting your eating disorder to solve your problems that you know if you have trauma or trust issues putting faith and trust in your treatment team and the people who are you know around you supporting you can be a really difficult thing which is hilarious because something i just noticed is where does the eating disorder live so basically what you just Mm -hmm. told me tara is that you've been trusting yourself just like the unhealthy part of yourself so maybe if you could just divert that trust in yourself To the part of you that wants your best. Yes. Because in a weird way, oh, you've already been trusting yourself. That's what I've really yourself. been trying to do. Now I'm all confused. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. <laughs> oh, but, but like, yeah, okay, so, like, so I gotta get all therapisty on you for a second. Because, like, it just means you've been, I know, okay, it just means you've been trusting trying. yourself to take care of yourself the best way you knew how, and now you're learning a new way. And in that way, like, I hope, I mean, I just hope for people who hear that and you too, that's where the forgiveness in yourself lies, is you were doing the best you could to take care of yourself. You just didn't know how. In in a weird, messed up way, you were even trusting yourself. And you know, I wouldn't have picked something that didn't work, you know? So like if the eating disorder worked, yeah, it worked for a time and then it made me really sick and now I've got to choose other coping skills and behaviors and you know I have to put my faith in my team like when I'm having thoughts or urges you know I can like text my therapist and she'll be like grab ice because her I think her favorite skill is the tip skill in DBT which is for temperature we don't do the intense exercise or maybe that's the oh intense sensations I have to look it up physical exercise there's a second P Last year, I, don't know. I know that part of it is physical exercise because um, I'm always told not to do that part. I know that that is a, definitely part of it. But yeah, so you know, trusting your team, um, like so, especially if you need to weight restore, it can definitely feel like well, these people just a want to know how I'm feeling all the time, and b want to make me fat. Cool. Like, so, like, in recovery, instead of relying on your eating disorder to cope with the uncomfortableness of, you know, weight restoring or, you know, finding out how you feel, you can have, like, rely on your team to kind of steer you in the right direction to feel like what correct coping is. Like, because I know for a while there, I didn't, part of me knew, but part of me didn't know that, you know... Like, purging is not the way to handle things. So, but since I was so used to that, like, you know, that neural pathway was cemented in stone or whatever, that that's what I would go to. So reaching out to my team to be like, you know, I've had DBT so many times, I know all the skills, but like, which Mm -hmm. skill can I use right now? I don't know, because when you're in that moment, it's so, that's the most prevalent thing that you want to do, but you have to like, you know, take a step back and be like, okay, well, what can I do instead? And I think, to me, at that time, choosing to do the other thing instead was more work than just doing the thing. It's kind of like, um, ask permission later, or you can do it now, but, and ask for forgiveness later or whatever. Kind of like that yeah. concept. Yeah, because I think, I mean, but, um, learning, I, I call it the pause, learning the pause, most of us can do that, but then when you start to notice, there's like this process in recovery where you start to notice, okay, well, I've learned the pause, and now I'm willfully choosing to do it. What does that say about me? And then so you go through that. 
But did but no, but learning to pause was part of it. Being able to observe yourself doing it was part of it. Part of that growth. And then you start to learn, well, maybe I can grab it's like not having power steering and I just maybe I can steer to different directions this time. But you can't ever get to that point if you aren't noticing that you're choosing to do it anyway. Yeah, because at the same time your eating disorder is fighting back. Like, it doesn't want to die. Like, you have to... Oh, I had to write a yeah, eulogy. Yeah, I thought about that, because I don't necessarily think it has to die. I think it can be, I, you know, um, they say at Montanito, it can be the canary in the mine, right? So it can let you know, kind of like pain in your ankle, that something is wrong. You just learn to recognize it as another source of information rather than a dictator. Or, you know, you can take the good parts of your eating disorder, like... Mm-hmm. You know, organization, mm-hmm. right? You have to be pretty organized or whatever. And you can use those for good instead of evil. Ambivalence can definitely drive you crazy. Did you ever yeah. feel ambivalent in your recovery? Yeah. Or do you feel it I now? mean, there are many days. I still, because I've vacillated on both ends. You know, I've been under and I've been over. Um, I've restricted and I have binged and purged and everything else in between. And even now, like what? 15, 18, I don't even know, a lot of many years into my recovery, um, there are, I just had twins. And now I have like diastasis, like the worst diastasis I've ever seen on anyone is on me. And you know, you get that C-section scar and the weird, like your skin is my skin. I don't know when or if it's going bad. And so immediately the old eating disorder self is like, you need to schedule times where you're gonna. That's that's where I go first. You need to schedule exercise. You gotta start walking. You gotta start going for a walk. You gotta start doing this. How many times a week do you think you can get to ballet class? You know, and it's like dial it down, dial it down. Sure. And so there's still that push pull. You just get a lot better at recognizing it early and putting it in its place and telling it to shut the fuck up. And realizing, and and again, using it as the source of information that it is. Okay, what is this, the fact that this is popping up, what is this telling me? Well, obviously I feel uncomfortable with my body. Okay, well, how can I make friends with this new body then? I don't have to love the way it looks, right? But I can make friends with it. I can still take care of it. Yeah. Thank it for what it gave you. Twins. Wow, that's kind of human beings with my body. Like, that's crazy. And I think twins are pretty great, you know, because... <laughs> I'm an identical twin, so... <laughs> twin yeah, is I, don't, I don't think human ambivalence ever really goes away. You just become... You hold it in your awareness and you make a choice. And most, most days you choose... Hopefully you're choosing recovery more days than not. Or that's increasing for you. And so most of the time you're choosing recovery choices. And just because you choose like yellow light behavior one day... You know, like, oh, today I, today I ate too many Oreos does not mean I'm not in recovery anymore, you know? Reminding yourself of that, too, that those, those disordered eating behaviors will also decrease in intensity and frequency over time, ideally. If not, then you might need to look at your level of care. Um, but it doesn't mean it's going to go away. It's like, it's like having diabetes. Does the diabetes ever go away just because it's well-managed? 
Now you still have to manage it well. And if you stop managing it well, you're going to get really, really, really sick. And it's similar with eating disorders. Like they require management. The thoughts may still pop up throughout recovery, but you manage them. You know what to do with them more and more. I think too, like something that you've told me over and over again, you can't choose recovery and then still have that magic number stuck in your head because because you're going to definitely relapse because like screw that number who cares what that number is like you know you can't you can't do both well what my therapist is now she said you can't have the diet (laughs) coke of recovery (laughs) you can't have like you can't be on on the middle fence forever like on the fence forever you have to eventually you're either going to choose more you know behaviors than recovery or you're going to choose recovery than more behaviors but if you're not you know actively seeking your recovery and you're not paying attention to how you feel and what things are telling you like you're in, just going to um, choose behaviors Jenny Schaefer in one of her books on Ed I don't know if it was like Life Without Ed or but uh, she writes like or she talked about this at the Eating Recovery Center's conference last year, which is that why would you dance on the edge of the cliff? Eventually you're going to fall off the cliff. The idea is to spend more and more time far away from the cliff. Yeah. I met her this year. Pretty cool. She signed my book. Yeah, I went to the Nita Walk in yep. uh, Austin. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I was thinking, like, we were going to do a 5K? Like... <laughs> And then, and then I got there, and I was thinking, "There's no, no way that this walk is a 5K." <laughs> it yeah, was like a that's walk what we did at the needle walk here. It was at La Fortune Park, and it was just like we walked up to the end of the block and then back down. <laughs> we did it! Woo! Yeah, <laughs> we didn't raise our heart. <laughs> and you know what was really funny is I got <laughs> I got there at around 9 a.m., which is Universal snack time almost. Like for everyone, an eating disorder recovery, and they had snacks there, and I was like, oh, "This was well planned. This was well thought out." Oh, you guys! I'm having a, just a little side note for my open house. I have a friend of mine who makes pastries, and she makes the most amazing pastries. And she asked if uh, she could make some for the opening. And I said, "Yeah." And she was like, "Would that be too weird? Have food in it?" And I was like, "Uh, no." It's good modeling. It's good. It's okay. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Bring donuts. That won't freak anyone out. Who brought the donuts? Oh, man. Who brought the donuts? What? It's so, I mean, like, what is a donut? It's just bread that's fried. Bread, it's fried. It's frosted. That's it. I have, yeah, it's good stuff. But, you know, to kind of, like, wrap up or whatever... I think if you're in the middle of ambivalence in your recovery, um, you need to realize that that's like your eating disorder fighting back. And it does feel like crap. I mean, you're totally validated in feeling like crap in recovery because it's not always rainbows and butterflies and Instagram (laughs) pictures of muffins and tea (laughs) and hashtag recovery. But, um, you know, you just got to, what's the thing they always tell you? Yeah. Do the next right yeah, thing. Just what's what's right. what's right in front of you? What's the next thing you can do? Next recovery choice you could make. And you know, it's helpful to have like your long term goals written down somewhere too, because you know your eating disorder will keep you from those goals. So 
maybe make a list of goals and laminate it and keep it, you know, in your purse or your wallet or whatever on, the, on your bathroom wall. So, you know, you go in and be like, oh, those are my goals. Can't purge because I'm not going to get to do. School. Don't be surprised if some days you're like, F it. I hate my goals. I don't deserve goals anyway. I'm never going to reach them anyway. Those days happen. I'm just going to, yeah, burn crap down. Like, what's that analogy about yeah, the tire? If you get a flat Slashing tire, tires, is that what it is? <laughs> if you get one flat tire, you're going to slash all four. Like, right, well, one's flat anyway. May as well slash the other three. Get them all flat. No, you just change it and get back on the road. Talk like triple A. Yeah, your therapist is like triple A. <laughs> Any questions or thoughts or concerns or ramblings or whatever, email Ryan at Mitchell at com. Or if I figure out how to get this uploaded to iTunes and the SoundCloud and all that good stuff, then comment. All right, so... Do we want to have a plan for next time or just see what happens? Any special topics lately? I mean, for me, I've really been wanting to get back to CrossFit. And so my team has me, um, like, you know how, like, people use the eating disorder to earn worthiness? Like, that's a way they can chase unworthiness. So, like, I'm just trying to chase down CrossFit days. <laughs> so, like, if I have a good week then I get one day of CrossFit. And then if the next week I have a okay, good day, so I get two days. That's a good segue. So maybe next time we'll spend some time talking about exercise, the role of exercise in recovery and why your treatment team may or may not recommend you stop. And how frustrating Ooh, that can be. And then we can also talk about exercise addiction. And over-exercising. All right, so we have a plan. Hope this has been of use to some of you. If so, let us know. Mostly. All right, Sarah, until next time. <laughs>